Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You are listening to episode 49. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm very, very happy to be back on the podcast after a short hiatus. Unfortunately, Costa is not with us today, but we have Adi Burubasis and Lambros Sirmos here, as well as our special guest for today, who will be joining us shortly, Harry Kara George. We had a game against Apollon Smirnis this morning. We will talk about that game a little bit. But first things first, we have some very exciting news to get into. The signing of Kenny Lala, the right back from France, seems to be getting closer and closer to being official. He's in Athens. We'll do a deep dive on that. And folks, I don't want to get too into it, but it's looking good. Before we do that, we do have a couple announcements to make. We only have one special guest as of right now on the schedule, and that is the Payas Bay podcast, which will be happening on February 17th, just ahead of the Europa League round of 32 first leg between Olympiakos and Payas Bay. Feeling much more optimistic about that game now. We also want to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com and give them a call at 410-675-4696. With that, let's get straight into the deep dive. So for folks who maybe haven't seen the news headlines in the last couple of days, Olympiakos, you know, some people are unhappy with Rafinha as the right back, Lambro being one of them. There's been a lot of controversy as to whether He's enough. Andruzos has looked very promising in the last few weeks, including looking pretty good in today's game. We also have Drager, but he's been out of the fold for the most part. Out of nowhere, rumors started cropping up a couple days ago about the signing of French right-back Kenny Lala from Strasbourg. Now, a couple things to know about this transfer. Adi mentioned a few weeks ago uh, that the French League might be a place to look for players because of some of the financial difficulties going on over there. And we may see us be a beneficiary of that by bringing Lala in for what might be a great bargain. Now, without further ado, as he does, Adi has done a deep dive on Lala. We've got some comparisons between him and Rafinha. And Adi, I'm just going to let you get right into it. Yeah, boys, I'm super excited about this transfer. I spent a lot of time watching tape on him. And just before I start getting into some of the numbers, getting into some of the specifics about the tape that I watched, guys... If we are using Scout's data and using their comprehensive weighted methods in order to pull together who the best players are at their position, they rate Kenny Lala as the number two right back statistically in the French League. He's top three considering all fullbacks, both left and right. All lateral defenders, he's top three. Just in right backs, he's top two. And there, there are some names. I've already put them on Twitter. You can check it out uh, under some of the tweets that we had, but he seems to be the real deal. I mean, this is a not maybe not the exact level of Podence type of steal, but this was highway robbery. We got a ready player who is succeeding and playing at a very high level in a top league, and he's now coming to us. Just a quick note I want to add in before Adi gets into the numbers. Second best right back in the French league, and for folks who might be asking – is Lala a French international? Not yet. But if you look at the numbers, two of the right backs he's ahead of 
uh, Dubois from Lyon and Aguilar from Monaco. They are in the French national team right now. They were selected in the, both of them in the most recent uh, set of international games. Obviously, Benjamin Pavard is the top right back in France right now. He's playing in the Bundesliga. But, you know, if you look at the stats, I'm looking at that. I think Lala actually deserves a call up to the French national team. And he's coming to Olympiacos for an absolute bargain. Anyway, back to the numbers and the deep dive. Before the numbers and the deep dive, I have to say the meltdown of the French was so funny on Twitter. They were like, why would you do this? Why wouldn't you go to OM or Lyon and like blah, blah, blah. Like this is a farmer's league. Like, come on, guys. We need to look in the mirror a little bit here in France, you know. And it was just hilarious reading them in French, like so upset. And finally, my, my French reading comprehension is coming in for something. They were mad. And that, that always shows me something. I feel like fan reaction to a player leaving or coming in is usually a big, like something we don't really consider as much. But like when Oleg left, like fans were devastated there that he was leaving. Padense was similar for sporting. Like people, them at Strasbourg are pretty, pretty upset. And like the French fans in general, like French fans were like, we need a right back. And like, this guy's going to Greece. Like, why isn't he going to a top team in England? I'm in love with it just from that and all the memes we produced making fun of Rafinha. I love that as well. Anyway, Adi, teach the people some lessons. Yeah, and I mean, it's very understandable why they're upset. And guys, just to explain kind of how rare it is for us to get a player of this caliber and why this is a BAM, we don't get products like this. I can't recall a player that has ever been a top player in any league that we've been able to get a hold of. We were very fortunate for a couple of reasons. Peter already mentioned the media pro deal that fell apart. France is auctioning the rights, the media rights to their league tomorrow, which will be the day that this gets released, this episode gets released. So there's a haircut, uh, probably going to be a at least a 30% to 60% haircut on the media rights, which means all of these bottom tier clubs, is maybe even middle tier, we can say mid to bottom tier clubs in France are going to be struggling financially. They have to make sales. They have to loosen up wages. Now, in this case, there was no contract. They never, talks had failed and Lala wasn't getting the attention or the deal that he wanted and he was holding his contract out. We got so lucky. We got so lucky to get this guy and you're going to understand why in a little bit. And I want to start with his defensive, his defensive characteristics. First of all, guys, in terms of his, his physique, this guy is a specimen. He's a physical specimen. 5'10", 171. This man is pure muscle. There's no fat on this guy's body, at least from what I've seen. And he's pretty quick, very, very strong. Now, the cool thing is he's very positionally astute. He marks very tightly, but he always stays inside of the other player. And what you want, you want to see. He's not a young guy. He's, I mean, he's not old either, but at, the, at his age, he has to be a polished product, and he definitely is. He watches the ball constantly. He's not likely to fall for scissors or tricks. I watched uh, over 100 defensive duels of his, and I didn't see him fall for it more than maybe one or two times. Very good to see. Uh, now, there's one caveat. I will say that I don't believe, from what I've seen so far, that he is quite as good at reading the pass at Rafinha is defensively. Say what we will about Rafinha going forward. But one thing Rafinha is pretty decent at is interceptions. He can cut passing lanes, and he's pretty good at reading them out. I didn't see at least too many cases where it looked like Lala was 
reading the intention of the player on the ball and the pass he was about to make. It was more his positioning was good and he was able to mop up on a mistake. So that's not necessarily a bad thing because positioning can make up for that. It was just something I noticed. Now, in terms of uh, in terms of the the data. So he gets into a similar number of of duels, we'll say defensive duels as Rafinha. He has a slightly higher win percentage, 60% win percentage on defensive duels versus Rafinha's 58.8. Now, some of you will say, hey, they have the same. But remember, he's competing in a, in a league with better talent, better players. So it means a lot more. He's also better in the air than Rafinha. Again, slightly and gets involved more in the air. Not that it's probably that hard to be better than Rafinha, but he is. He's better in the air. Loose balls. He's more clinical with loose balls. They get involved in the same amount, and he's more likely to come out. Again, we're talking 49 to 47%, not much of a change, but he is in a better league. Interceptions. Similar number of interceptions, recoveries, and clearances per game. Now, we press high at Olympiacos. We're always on the ball. We're playing teams that are in deep. So some would say that Rafinha probably has more opportunities on the press to be disengaging uh, other players and maybe attempting to remove the ball. You could also say that because Strasburg's on the defensive end, that maybe maybe Lala's getting more opportunities. The data matches up pretty similar to similarly, but we're going to edge towards Lala because he's in a better league and he is maintaining a higher percentage and a higher performance level on a per ninety minute basis than Rafinha is, and he's playing in a in a top league. So defensively, there's a lot to like. He's faster than Rafinha, stronger than Rafinha, and he his, positionally, he doesn't get caught out in the open from what we've seen so far playing on a worse team in France. Now, let's transition to offense. In terms of offense, we'll start with kind of like the top-down, you know, characteristics. Again, he's a physical specimen. I mentioned this already. Very difficult to dispossess. He has incredible strength and incredible balance. He has a very, very low center of gravity. And this is really good. Also, he has a cannon for a throw-in. This guy can throw the ball from half field into the box. This is going to be a really cool new dimension that we have. Because <laughs> That's going to be fun. This guy can just launch the ball. I mean, when I first started watching some of these positional attacks and restarts, and this guy was just launching the ball right into the box. I mean, you're going to have goal opportunities now off of throw-ins. Incredible. Um, now, one thing to bear in mind as I run through the data, he has more shots and shot assists than Valbuena, more than double actually. But that volume is contextual because he takes free kicks for Strasbourg. So we have another free kick specialist coming to us. Whether or not he actually takes them for us, I have no idea. But it's something that Rafinha really doesn't offer. Data-wise, let's start with the top. We'll talk total expected goals. So his expected goal and average expected assist is 0.12 and 0.14. Again, not very low, but expected for a wing back. But it's way higher than what Rafinha is, which gives you the idea that he gets into better scoring positions and also creates better scoring opportunities. His average is double on the assist, the expected assist value, and six-time Rafinha on the goal expected goal value. So Rafinha's expected goal contribution is 0.02. So this guy's way bigger of a goal threat. Um, he's actually scored a couple goals for Strasbourg this season. He actually has uh, an assist this season as well more shots, better shot percentage. 
Uh, like I said, more shot assists, but some of that is because he takes set pieces. And of course, let's not forget the throw-ins that lead immediately to shots. But there's all the things. This guy crosses. He overlaps more than Rafinha. Not that that's very difficult, but he does. I wouldn't say he overlaps quite as much as Adruzos, but he's still going to do it more than Rafinha, which is already a pro. Crosses. He has about one another one more cross per game than Rafinha on average per ninety. And in terms of the in terms of the accuracy, which we don't care so much about, he Rafinha is about ten percent higher. So Rafinha's at thirty seven point eight. He's at twenty six. Remember, we care about volume, not accuracy. Martins goes for volume. Dribbles. I don't even have to go into the data. This guy is just way better. He can take players on, and he has a wider portfolio in terms of what he can do with the ball. Like I said, he's very strong. He can sprint down the wing, and it's very difficult to dispossess him. He can dribble decently well in close quarters. He will take space in the middle, rip a shot with his off foot, and it's actually pretty good. This is a right-footed guy that will take space and take a shot with his left foot. And more times than not, it's on target. So multi-dimensional player, multifaceted. The one thing which we have yet to see, and it'll be interesting to see when he gets on the field, is that we Rafinha, we've discussed before, touches the ball a lot. He's averaging almost 60 touches a game. He's always one of the top three players involved in link-up. Lala is averaging less than 40, about 38 touches per game. But again, Strasburg has a different game philosophy. They're not always on the ball, and he gets involved a lot on the counter or in some of the very few occasions they have possession, especially in the top against the top-flight teams. So it'll be interesting to see if he will take up the mantle and take up more of that role in link-up or possession, or if he falls back as just a normal overlapping wingback. I'm not sure that, how that's going to pan out, but I'm telling you guys, this is a clear, clear upgrade over Rafinha, and it is almost highway robbery like Podence. Yeah, Adi said it pretty well. My thoughts on this transfer, just going off of the numbers that Adi said, like, yeah, this is a bona fide BAM, folks. In the, in my eyes, this is an incredible transfer. I want to say, like, hats off to Marinaki and the entire board for, you know, sort of seeing this opportunity, like the French League in a tough spot, Lala's contract expiring, Strasbourg not doing very well, seeing that opportunity and being able to bring in this great player on an absolute bargain. Regarding Rafinha, you know, we've given him a lot of stick, but I think the issue with Rafinha is more that he's just not the type of right back that we need. He's not necessarily a horrible player. I mean, he also is just like very annoying and like blinds and, and you know, gets and mixes with the refs. But like, it really is just that he's not where we need to be. And for that reason, I'm really glad that Lala is going to come in. He's going to run at defenders. I'm really looking forward to seeing that creative array with the ball at his feet, potentially him cutting in. I think Lala and like Rusai together on the, the right side of the pitch would be really entertaining. Both of those guys can do a lot on the ball and they're not afraid to go forward. I think this is going to be a huge, huge, huge impact for our team. And I can't wait to get him in and have things officially announced. One more note about Lala. This guy's a right back and wears number 10 for Strasbourg. Absolute baller. That's all I have to say about him. I'm so excited to see Lala play, and I'm so excited to see Rafinha go as well. Thanks for the memories, Rafinha. Cheers. We will never forget you. As I said about Kafu, a legend. So long. Anyway, Lala, I am so excited. I am so, so excited, and I'm really hoping that this works out. 
because I feel like Europa League, we were going into Europa League after that Champions League campaign, like, oh God, here we go. We're not so great. PSV are playing great in the, the Dutch League. Guys, PSV lost 3-1 today against Feyenoord in, in the Netherlands. The window is there. We need to go through this window and get down and make a deep European run. Get Socrates ready, get get Lala in the groove, and this team's ready to go. We would have preferred having another winger, I want to say, but let's roll with it, baby. Like this is this is a good Olympiacos team if we can put it put the pieces together real fast. One thing that is gonna be concerning is how well this guy mixes with the team. You could be the best player in the world, but if you don't develop that chemistry with your team, it might not work out and it could end up spelling disaster. Hopefully we see him gel with the team and it turns out a lot like Oleg because everything kind of works out how it should. This guy will be a genius in the Greek Super League. He's also played like 23 games already this season for Strasbourg. I want to say like he was he their captain even as well. Like he's been there for a long time and he's in shape we should say so gratis there were certain concerns i know some people were saying oh he was playing with the the reserves nah this man's been playing top level football here and he's ready to go i'm excited for it by the way i've been out of the podcast for the last week so i haven't got to sort of issue my take on socrates but i just want to say you know great job on the club for bringing that in i think he provides some great experience at the back like for all of these like clowns who only watch Premier League football and are just like, oh, Socrates only even can't even get in an Arsenal. Like this guy's gonna do nothing. No, he's this is a big a big transfer and and uh, yeah, it was talked about already, but um, it's gonna be exciting to see Socrates come in. And now we have our special guest for the day, folks, Harry Kara George. We are very very excited to have you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here and tell us a little bit about the Olympiacos DC Academy. Uh, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to be here and talk a little bit more about the Academy in Olympicals. Yeah, well, for those who can't see the video, Harry is is decked out in Olympiacos <laughs> gear, got the, the sweater as well as the hat, um, very bright red, which we love to see. Um, so the first thing we're going to ask you is, how did you become a fan of Olympiacos? Um, you know, growing up, how did you get into soccer? And... Um, you know, obviously you're a big fan of this club now. So how did that start? Yeah, um, I played soccer since I was three or four years old in my, in the restaurant of my dad's restaurant with, with all the Greek waiters and waitresses in the, in the back room there. Um, I used to go to Greece about every two to three years. Um, my family, they were all Olympiacos fans. Uh, my mom, my dad, uh, my cousins over there, my relatives. So uh, being a soccer fanatic, going to Greece, you know, when I would always play with the kids in the, in the accordion and so forth. And so I just developed my love for obviously soccer, but for Olympia Coast when I was over there. So it was just sort of a natural family thing growing up and soccer was, you know, the, the sport I loved to play the most. And with that, you're of course now, um, I think, president of the Olympia Coast DC Academy in the United States. Uh, so our next question for you is, you know, how did you start that? What were you doing before you started the academy and how did this idea come to you and then how did you execute that idea? Uh, great question. Um, I grew up in a DC area. Uh, my U13 and U14 team were state champs um, in Virginia. Uh, we went to the regional finals, my U, our U14 team, we lost the finals of the region to go to the nationals. 
Um, but we had a great like three year run where we, we had great chemistry, camaraderie with the parents and the players. Uh, we won consistently in a, a, a ton of tournaments and so forth. And it was just a lot of fun. And so you fast forward 20, 25 years and I have a son. My son's big, big in soccer as well. Uh, and a lot changed since back then to how things are done now at the youth level. Uh, it's very fragmented, a lot, many more youth teams out there than there were in the past. Where like, we knew the players on the other teams we would play. Like, watch out for this guy or this guy. You know, there's like three or four strong teams in Virginia. We knew a couple of strong teams in Maryland. Now there's a, a million leagues, a million teams. And when my son and while I was watching, it was a couple of parents and I said, like, look how they play. It's basically at 10, 11, 12, you just take the fast guy up front. <laughs> You take a fast guy on the back, you just play kickball. And like sort of like the midfield and the guys in the middle aren't even involved in the game, you know. And, and so a lot of these, these academy-type clubs were just looking for speed and size, um, but they weren't developing soccer players. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to have athleticism, they weren't developing soccer players. So we were doing – there were a couple of us that were discussing, can we have, we have these guys play the European way, a total team football? Um, no one was addressing that question at the youth level. My son was also frustrated in the same situation. He was like, all we do is boot the ball and, and run fast, and we're not really have any idea of what we're doing. So um, when, when I was talking to a couple others, I was like, what can I do? I can't go out there and say, Harry George's Academy. That doesn't make any sense. Who, who's Harry Carajord? Um, And I was like, I knew Chicago had an academy. Um, so I talked to Chicago and John Cosmas at Olympico Chicago. And I said, what would, it, what would it take in order to put an Olympicos Academy here uh, in the D.C. area? Um, so we had multiple discussions with him. I put a, a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, he came and visited me. And I said, I think you have a natural market here. Uh, he's been very successful in Chicago. Um, so then I basically started the process, and I talked to Vasily uh, Nanos, and, and who's the head of the soccer school network in Olympiacos and basically gave them sort of a, my plan and the coaches and how we would build this. And we already had at that time a very successful 05 team, which was my son's age group. And then, and I had another 07 team. So basically I had two teams already ready, which a lot of times I don't even have any teams set up. So I had a couple of teams that were ready to move. And then in May of 2018, uh, Vasily came here, we made an official with our signing thing, the flags and all that. And we won official as Olympicos DC. Uh, which was at that time the third academy in the United States. Um, so based, that's so basically what's the way my soccer career, you know, when I was 18, I don't know if I played second division in Greece before I went to, I went to University of Virginia. Uh, I could have walked on there and played, but, you know, I, I, it was always education with me as, you know, my parents never had a chance to get an education and they were immigrants from Greece. And that was sort of instilled upon me. But I played on, and the offseason, I played on local Greek teams, both in the D.C. area and Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I played all the time. I loved it. And I was, so it was a way to combine the passion for Greece, Olympia, course, and the right way to play soccer all into one. You know, so it was the, so we, we were in official May, and uh, we've done a lot of progress. COVID has been hard. Um, but, uh, you know, we were supposed to go to the Dallas Cup last, uh, let's see, the U19 team. Um, that got canceled the first time in 45 years. Oh, yeah. Um, so that was unfortunate there, too. So we've managed, uh, we've grown, um, and, uh, and we're excited for the future, especially when we get through COVID. 
I wanted to speak to kind of what you were talking about earlier with respect to now there being tons of programs everywhere. It was the same when when I played. When I was playing, I knew, you know, there were, I, I used to see the same three teams in states <laughs> or in those regional tournaments. It was always the same three or four teams. For us, it was the academy, the Potomac Cougars, Cougars Academy team. I played for Baltimore Bays. And then we would see LDC, which was really the only club in D.C. I knew of. And then once in a while, we would see there was a, a really good up-and-coming, when I was younger, uh, Bethesda Academy. Right. And it was always the same four teams. It was the same four of us always competing. You know, you would have some little teams here and there that would come in, maybe some from Delaware, some from Pennsylvania, um, once in a while from Virginia. But it was always the same four teams competing. And as I, you know, have started to look and kind of see some of the league, there are so many academies. Right. And the the advent, the growth is, is I, st I think it's improving. It has a lot more to go before it can really get there. Um, there's a lot of things that I don't think our non-American listeners would understand in terms of the politics and the bureaucracies around U.S. youth development That's football. Right. When, you know, growing up for me, I was never the tallest. I was always very short growing up. Right. And because right. of that, I would have coaches immediately rule me out because they yeah. said, hey, you're too small and you can't play. They were always looking for taller guys, guys that could, that were faster, very physical. And it wasn't until I actually moved to the Baltimore Bays and we had a coach that really knew what he was doing. And it was a completely different mindset. And I mean, for the first time I had players that were my height, I wasn't the smallest kid on the team. And the ball movement was quick, one touch moving all over the place. Um, now we've had other um, individuals that have been involved with some type of youth development. We've had a previous trainer of mine that coached uh, US men's and women's soccer players. We had uh, Perry Tadjuanu who, coach or he was an administrative role in uh, Montreal Academy. So what we wanted to know was kind of what is the Academy's core mantra? What is it? What is your philosophy at the Olympiacos DC soccer school? Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that I was also the shortest guy on my team <laughs> growing up. Uh, I grew six inches between my junior and senior year. Um, and my son's as, um, genetically is the same. <laughs> he grew yeah this year but it's the same thing so we I totally understand that and then you're absolutely right about these academies looking for the height and the speed at 13 years old uh the problem with that is they get by with it at 13 years old but when they get to 16 and 17 years old they don't know how to play soccer and, and it really hurts them um where people like yourself or myself we had to work hard to play a style that would allow us to become better as we got older so I agree 100 percent with that um, our style in the academy is, is twofold. Um, we want them, we're, we don't focus so much on the results. It's the process that we care about. So, you know, when we do training through online, uh, through classrooms, now it's more online classrooms, Zoom, what have you, teaching them how to play the game the proper way. You know, it's not about, you know, if we win the game by two goals, but we didn't connect seven or eight passes or built from the back, um, that's not a success, you know. So we're trying to teach these kids how to play soccer the proper way. We're putting a bigger emphasis on our youth side of the, of the club because what happens to a lot of these kids, they become 14 or 15 or 16, and they're stuck in the old ways, and it's very difficult to change that mindset to play the way you're, the way you're supposed to be taught this way at 7, 8, or 9. Um, we always want the kids to have fun and be in the right environment, but you have to keep showing them little stuff 
at a younger age. So when they get to 12, 13, 14, they're already ready to, to accept a higher, higher tactical training. Um, our director of technical development, our te technical um, director is uh, from Germany. His name is Philip Wank. Uh, he grew up in the Dortmund Academy. So he has many years of experience going through the entire Dortmund Academy process. Um, he also coached collegiately here at Howard University and had some other clubs in Maryland before he joined us. He loved our, uh, our philosophy on how we wanted to build a club, how we wanted to train our players and so forth. You know, we've had um, calls with Greece, like we hire a videographer and now we're saying game tape to Greece to see our practice sessions. We're now going to work with them to show us their practice sessions, try to incorporate that. You know, we want to be more than just Olympiakos Academy name. We want to actually be part of the Olympiacos Academy in terms of training, how we, how we teach the kids on and off the field, how we represent ourselves. You know, I have, you know, so to me, I'm more interested in a kid that's willing to work hard, be a good teammate than the one who thinks he's the next Messi or what have you. Um, and so that uh, it's a, it's a lot of work on the front end, but it'll pay off in the back end. And, uh, and hopefully over time we'll be able to produce talented players and hopefully a couple of players that will be looked at, looked at by Greece and, and Olympiacos uh, down the road, but that's uh, that's a just a general philosophy. Now, how do you act on that? So you have your general philosophy. Are there like principles or core tenets? As an example, when Perry and when my previous coach Yanni came on, they talked about kind of the four things. We'll say action items, things that right. they used to address when training. So for Yanni, it was things like psychology, player mentality, agility. Uh, tactics in, in terms of team and individual tactics for your role versus what the team has to do, that kind of thing. Or what are the core tenets you guys focus on to act on that mantra? I think at across all age group, the, the, the most important thing is passion, um, love of the game. Um, so when you're looking to kids at a younger age group on up, they have to have passion, have the love of the game, because without that, you're not, not, you're not going to make the extra effort either through training and um, uh, other elements of the game that are necessary. So the biggest uh, is passion. I also think in, uh, there's another aspect of uh, team and being part of one family, one team for the club in general. So you're playing for more than just yourself. You're playing for the club. You're playing for the academy. You're representing the academy on and off the field. We did uh, charitable drives off the field in terms of like, you know, canned food drives, cleaning fields. We try to incorporate some of that into because because soccer is a tool to, that is used to teach kids a lot of uh, values and principles that will carry them for the rest of their life. Um, so if you have the passion, you have the teamwork, you have the, the, the willing to learn. Um, when we do uh, school sessions, you're willing to learn, you're willing to listen, you're willing to ask questions. Um, you know, obviously hard work and all those things are, are, are key items as well. Um, but I think the most important thing um, is passion because I see a lot of kids that get to 13 or 14 or they burn out or they don't have the desire anymore. So we try to create an environment with our coaching, with our philosophy to inspire them, to push them. Um, but that has to have some of that internal drive and passion. That's something that's been discussed about by three of our previous former player guests from Olympiacos, Per Zetterberg, Matt Derbyshire, and Celius Yanakopoulos. That passion, that will, you know, they some of them had different terms for it, but Pear right. called it, you know, enjoying the game, loving the game. Right. Matt said something similar. Yanakopoulos called it sacrifice. And because when you have that passion, when you love it, you're willing to do the things that maybe other people are not. 
And it was similar for the same, the same when I was growing up. The players that I played with that were the best and the ones that ended up going on to have great careers stayed. They, they, would, they would practice on their own after practice. We would stay sometimes almost an hour or even an hour and a half afterwards. Maybe it was shooting. Maybe it was free kicks. Maybe it was juggling. It, sometimes it seemed like we were having fun, but we were doing things, just that right. little bit extra, and all of that helps. And unless you have passion for the game, you're not going to put that work in. And there were so many kids that I saw that maybe didn't have the natural technical ability or the natural understanding of the game, but they were the most successful if they had the passion and the will to do the and to do the work and put the work the time in in order to get to that next level. It's not about the natural ability you have. Right. Now, does that help? Absolutely. But if you're willing to take the time to learn and to do what needs to be done to get to the next level, you could start off as maybe the worst player on the team, but if you're willing to put the time in and if you're willing to understand and work on things, you can become, if not the best player on the team, at least one of the better ones. I agree. I agree. And it maybe it's a little bit of how I grew up and just sort of paying three, four hours a day, you know, paying in the neighborhood. You know, I used to have a wall in my backyard. I would just bounce a pass off the wall for like an hour by myself. You have to have, if you want to be successful and have a chance, you have to do those little things. And it's not fun. It's not always fun. You have to be able, but if you had a passion, you're willing to make that sacrifice, like you said, to do those things, those little things. Yes, we want the kids to have fun and enjoy because it's important. It's a game. They have to enjoy it. Um, with that passion, enjoy it. Then, then you have a chance to, do, to have an academy where the kids can develop and be successful. If you just want to play for a fun, kick the ball around, you know, we have rec programs in the area. In fact, we actually have a strategic partnership with a local club, Annadale Boys and Girls Club. And we say just kids that just want to play but not too passionate about stuff, go to Annadale. They have a great little rec program there. You can play there. So we don't want to discourage any kid because we want every kid have a chance. Um, but we're trying to be more of these sort of higher-level academy arm, if you will, relative to, like, say, Annadale or other local clubs have in the area. I actually have a question shifting to yes. the club, the Old Ibiacos. So how I, – I guess for the listeners, like, how does that work? Do you – if you guys see a player that you really like, you're like this worth work ethic. You'll send video to the club, or and and, and do the players know that that's an element they could go to yeah. a European football club that plays Champions League football and get a door a, a foot in a door into European football that that has to be something that's on the back of their mind, right? If I work hard, there is a chance that I can actually go play at a European football club playing at this academy. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what we basically, the way it works, um, we're part of, we're basically part of their academy, but we're here as opposed to being in, you know, Pérez or Orenti. You know, I went to Orenti a couple of years ago. I went through all the uh, unbelievable facilities there, by the way. Um, so Chicago, for instance, uh, a couple of years ago, they took, I think, a U14 team the entire U14 team, and they played in a tournament in Greece, and they played against the other academies at, at that level. I think they did quite well, and I think they took their U19 team, but I'm not 100% sure. But basically, sort of that 14 to 18-year-old range is the sweet spot. So the spot that Olympico said, if you have a, a kid in that range that you like, and that's approved by myself and, you know, Philip and other coaches, uh, we put a tape together 
um, and we send it over to them. You know, so basically we're working on how to get scouts over here. We would like to, after COVID, have them come here for like a two week session or a one week session and look at the players that we have. You know, they can go to, they can go to Chicago, they can go to Toronto, there's a new academy in Toronto. But there's a, you know, like, um, I think it was Adi said that the North American market and the US market is very different than the market that is in Greece and in Cyprus and Australia. Um, but absolutely, the players know that too. I mean, we, we, we promote ourselves that way. Um, if they have the talent and we think they have a chance to make it, they'll be seen by somebody. And, uh, but I would say with our U23 team, uh, our, our UPSL team, there are a couple kids, uh, late bloomers. There's one kid in particular that we think has a chance for, for a, a pro career. Um, and we sent some video on him a couple weeks ago. Um, but the sweet spot is a 14 to 18 year old, but it doesn't mean if you work hard, you're 19, 20, 21, doesn't mean you don't have a chance. But yes, we definitely have a relationship with Olympiacos and the younger kids and older kids know that. Now, kind of speaking more onto the, not just the mentality of the players, but in terms of what you look for in the players, what do you see in the players so far that you think have that shot for that pro career or college aspirations, what have you? What do you see in those players? What do they have that separates them from the other players? Do, is it passion? Is it technical ability? All of it. What, what are you seeing kind of that's the common denominator? Yeah, that, it, it, it's a good question. In fact, there's, there's one kid um, who's an a eight-year-old kid, a nine-year-old kid that, that, that I've sort of seen pretty close. He's actually been training with the uh, our U13 team, U14 team. And what you see is obviously you look at for the younger kids, you know, they have agility, balance, coordination, also like the basic stuff. But what separates them is vision. They see things in a game. They see things in a field. Like this kid sees stuff on the field. Like how does an eight-year-old kid see that pass? How does an eight-year-old see that, that, that angle, that, that channel? And, and, and that was like when you start seeing that, it's like, okay, yeah, he has a technical skill. He could shoot and dribble and all that kind of stuff, but he sees stuff. And and the older ones, the same way, they, they just, the game sort of slows down with them. They don't panic. Um, I had, I played probably the best guy I ever played with uh, years ago. I was, I was at the Turks and Caicos and I played with uh, Donadoni. I heard Donadoni, he was at the resort and we played some Haitians and I would happen to be there. And they could have like three or four guys coming towards him and he just calm and find you 30 yards away. It's just a presence. It's, it's a way they just see things and they don't panic, they don't rush, and the game sort of slows down for them. And that's that's what I see. Can they see stuff other players don't see? Everyone can make the down-the-line pass or in and up, give and go, but they see stuff and they, their, their mental acuity is at a different level. I think Andrea Pirlo said, when I went to the MLS, um, and the MLS players think one step ahead. In Europe, they think four, five, six steps ahead. And I think that's what it is. That's what that's what separates in my mind. After you have the basic under, you know, the technical skills, agility, and all that, you have to have some talent, some natural ability. Um, but you know, I love one of my favorite players was Andres Iniesta for Spain, just the way he would play and just see stuff. Um, so I think that's really sort of that mental vision, seeing the field. I think that's what when you start seeing that from certain kids, say this kid might have something. Now vision that you were just discussing how different is it to teach that 
to a player than say technical ability or agility or conditioning? Why is that so much different and such a big separation from top class players and the rest of the pack? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, Philip has introduced um, something called life kinetics into our program. Um, that was something uh, um, used in uh, Dormand. It's actually being used uh, uh, with Klopp at Liverpool as well. So basically, it's a lot of sort of brain stimulation. So you can see reaction times quicker. You can see things quicker. You can react quicker. Um, you know, the, the, the agility, the running, all that kind of stuff is you can have a, a program, structure program to do that. And we do have that. But being able to see and do things quicker and seeing things, that's a lot harder. You know, we always encourage our kids, you know, watch a game or watch this 10-minute clip. Try to think on the field uh, what you're trying to do. Try to think before the ball comes to you what your next move is. A lot of kids get the ball, they freeze. You know, so we're trying to teach them mentally to think outside the box, outside their comfort zone. Um, you know, in the U.S., there's a lot of athletes, uh, great athletes, size, speed, strength across the board. So you're going to find athletic kids. But can we find, can we teach them soccer and soccer players? So you got to work the skill. It's something you got to work on every single day. Obviously, your touch, your first touch, your second touch. Um, but the mental part of it cannot be understated. It really is able to see the game and understand how to play the game. A lot of times you make a pass back and forth three times and people they're watching, why do they do that? Because they're just waiting, they're waiting, boom, they, they attack. And we're trying to teach them that aspect to like, slow down, you don't have to rush. If, the, if, if it's not here, we can bring it back right to the other side of the field. Um, that's hard though, it's hard because when they get in a live environment, they, they go back to their instinct is, well, I can take this guy one-on-one, -on -one, I'm faster, I'm bigger. And we're trying to say, no, we know that, but that's not the way to, play in that instance so it's uh it's a good question but i think that's the hardest part to teach it it definitely is and i think everybody all the players that have come on and you know the previous trainers coaches that we've had on have said the same thing very difficult and something that unfortunately well it's improved now i'll say but was something never focused on in the past or at that's least right. when when i was playing growing up when when I was playing under under Yanni at the time, Coach Yanni, as the listeners may well know from the past episode, it was very similar. It was my first time learning any any of that or, or having any of that type of focus. And that's really what you have to have if you want that's to right. get to that next level. Now, I wanted to shift the focus a little bit back to the United Premier Soccer League. And I wanted you to explain to the listeners, we've done a little bit, you know, on Twitter and in previous uh, I guess, housekeeping components of previous episodes where we've briefly explained what that means. But explain to the listeners why that is so important and what that means for the academy going forward. Yeah, um, it's important for several different reasons. First of all, um, uh, a lot of thanks to uh, Philip um, for leading that effort and coaching that team. We saw there was a void. There were a lot of kids that went through high school. Um, some of them went to college. Some of them still love to play soccer, but there was no, no other place for them to play. Some of them said, you know what, I think I have some talent, but I'm not being challenged enough to maybe show that I can play at a, a higher level. Um, for the club, it's very important because the younger kids see that we have something um, that they can aspire to. The older kids in the area, the 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds say, you know what, if I go with the UPSL with Olympia Goss, 
maybe I catch the eye of somebody, you know, someone in the UPS, they, you know, they got players of the week, they have scouts. And so I can be seen in the, the demand has been tremendous. I mean, we've had in about one month, about 60 players already uh, of applied for tryouts. Um, and you know, so it's, it's, we're on, we're on the path of two teams already. <laughs> um, so, so there's a void there. There's nowhere for people to go. Um, I remember when I went to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina after UVA and I was looking for a team. I was like, where do I go? I want to play. I happened to run into a Greek guy who, in a pickup game and I joined their team. But there's, there's a void and there's a, there's, we're trying to fill that. Um, it's competitive. You know, sort of like a fourth division, you know, um, pro development program. It's not a professional where they, there are bonus pools of money, but it's not like, you know, a salary like you're you know, a, a pro. Um, but we thought this was a good initial step. Um, we're going to have, you know, fans, hopefully. We're going to have um, uh, U.S. stadium seats and um, all that kind of, you know, maybe um, restaurant food and drinks and all that kind of thing. Try to make that feel like a, a real pro type of team. Um, but it's very important for us to have that, to show that the club has the youth academy all the way up through. And it's, I say U23, but it could be 24 or 25. It's sort of a little bit more men's. Generally people in that sort of 20 to 23 year old age group. Uh, some of them are, so about eight of them went back to college for the, for the, spring, um, for the spring season. They'll rejoin us in May. Um, one of them I know was training in Greece a goalie that is going to go back to Greece when he can to try to make a squad over there. So it's just basically an opportunity for them to play at a higher level and see where they can take their game, you know. So that's uh, – but we're very excited about it, and and the demand has been tremendous. Now, what is the next step? Obviously, you guys aren't done. You're always shooting for the next thing. So with the establishment of the team in the UPSL, what's the next step? Uh, and, again – any specifics you can give a lot of our listeners are outside of the United States. So they don't understand the, let's say the system, the tiered system in the U S right. it's not simple, like relegation promotion. It's a completely different type of system. What's the next step and what does it take for you guys to get to the next step? Yeah. I mean, the, the, look, there's, like I said, we're sort of fourth division, you know, you can go to there's NPSL on the USL. I mean, so we want to strive to, get higher level into higher level, you know, uh, soccer league. Um, that would obviously be the natural next step. You know, can we produce, can we do well in this, in the UPSL? The second, the next step is to take this team to a higher league uh, where there's maybe more opportunities and maybe play against, you know, MLS or MLS academies as well, as, as, in addition to UPSL teams. Um, you know, when you think big picture next step, I would have put like sort of big picture next, next up, like a three to five year plan. I would love to have a Olympiacos uh, only stadium with facilities and locker rooms and the whole nine yards. Um, there would be a huge you know, cost obviously to get that off the ground. Um, and, but I would love to have that. We, you know, sorry, like in Europe, you have signs all over the field, terms of advertisers, really get the community involved. You know, we're using fields from other clubs right now um, and we're working with them, but it would, be, it would be great to have the Olympicos emblem in the middle of the field and have an Olympicos specific stadium. That would be the ultimate uh, to have, in my opinion. And then that leads to another level of where, to, where the club can go. You know, can you, so that's, I said, that's 
big picture down the road, but yeah. So from a league's perspective, obviously you want to see if you can go higher leagues from a club perspective at that level, you'd like to have a league, which would filter down to the youth academies too. I mean, the other youth teams would play there and so forth. Um, but that's something I've thought about long, long term. Oh, that would be, that would be fantastic. Now we, before we uh, begin to wrap up, I had one more question about, I guess the, the leagues and, and elevating yourself for the leagues. One of the major, I guess, criticisms of the American football system is the, not just on the individual level, but on the club level, is the immense capital requirements in order to actually compete and get into that. Um, do you mind explaining for the listeners, especially the ones outside the United States that don't understand, um, with the, maybe not specifics, but the capital requirements required for you to get from UPSL to USL2 or USL1, how, what those barriers to entry are? Uh, that's a great question. And I've, I've had to explain this so many times um, because they don't understand it over there. I mean, in fact, even, even our technical director, Philip, was shocked by some of the costs because he came from Dortmund in Germany where he was like, it was like 12 euros and you're playing for the whole season. You know, it, it's just a whole different ballgame over here. And, and it's a problem with the U.S. because everyone tries to nickel and dime you. So, let, let's, so you got here. So you get into league, you got league fees. And then you got VYSA registration fees. And then you got ref fees. And then you got to do a tournament, you got tournament fees. And then you got, um, you know, you, uniform fees. It, it, just, it just always adds on to say insurance fees. You know, like we looked at one league, uh, MPSL, and the cost was tremendous. I, I think it was like uh, for one season, one year, it was $25,000 just to have the games. And then you're not even talking about we had to pay for our home field. We had to get benches, locker rooms. You had to pay for um, travel expenses. I mean, it's just so much involved. It is very, very capital intensive. I mean, it's, it's almost like not a business to do um, for financial reasons. I did this for I wanted to create something different for the kids and for the club. Um, but there are a lot of barriers to entry here. I mean, to go to that next level uh, will take a tremendous amount of uh, fundraising. In fact, we're going to start doing, we're working on a, uh, a Olympicos DC fan club and doing like, so like a, a easy campaign, like $20, become a member for the year, you know, maybe get, you get free tickets to a game or, or soda or something if you come out. You know, we're trying to try to create that buzz, um, but they do not understand overseas how expensive things are over here. Um, and I've tried to keep the cost low because I want as many players to be accessible to as many players as possible. I also have a 501c3 where I did some scholarship fundraising last year for a couple of kids that needed scholarship opportunities. Um, but there are a lot financially is a very, very difficult uh, situation to get to that next level. Um, people both in the U.S. and abroad can support us, help us. You know, we were on Twitter and Instagram, you know, like, you know, like us, follow us, all that kind of stuff. We're trying to do the social media front, um, but it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work to put that together, but they, yeah, there are a lot of barriers to entry in terms of, and, and you, know, you know, I didn't even mention field calls, coaching calls, all that stuff. It just, one, it, it's just, um, and I tell that to my parents and the clubs, like we're doing the best we can. You know, we're not here to, you know, try to have a bunch of us make a lot of money off of this. We just have overhead that we just have to, you know, take care of, you know, but that, it's, it's a difficult situation as far as, as far as that goes. Yeah. And I want to say as, as we're all three of us are actually alumni of the university of Maryland college park. So very close to you guys there in DC. 
we will support $20, more than $20, and we will support you guys completely because that, that's our community. And I know there's a Greek community in D.C. that is willing to go and help you guys out. And, you know, whatever you guys do through fundraising, we're, help, we're happy to help out and we're happy to pay as well. I don't even live in the D.C. area anymore. I live here in Europe. But I'm, I will pay any fan card and will come at some point. So just know you yeah. have supporters here. The Gates have an international podcast and you have supporters in the DC area because there's quite a lot of us. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's awesome. And, and I can't thank you enough um, because I really want, when I say family, I really want to create that all of us involved. This club can only succeed if we're all working together, helping each other. Um, these are the kind of things that we need to do. Uh, it's been my mindset since the time I've thought about doing this. Um, it's always about, hey, let's get Olympia because I'm out. You're going to see all these other academies. And I guess, you know, Villarreal's not far from us. Barcelona, all these other academies. Why can't we do it? Why can't Olympia? Because it's a top club, uh, a European club. And why not make it happen here? And I'm, I am excited that Olympia, of course, has made uh, Toronto's become an academy within the last month. Um, and they had um, like Dubai. Um, it was, it, it ventured out to the, Dubai as well. So, they're trying to grow. I hope we have more academies along the East Coast. I think it's a great opportunity because a lot of soccer talent up and down the coast. Um, but we need support. We need help from, from yourself. And we're going to be pushing that fundraising drive a little bit more. And we're going to have a place on our website where, where people can make donations and become um, uh, because DC uh, fan members or club members. Um, and any ideas you guys have or whatever, I'm, and I'm willing to listen and, and share thoughts and, and how, how we can move forward together. Um, because it's, it's, a, it's a team effort. You know, one of, one of the people that uh, joined with me from the beginning was uh, Despina Panagulias, Aoki Panagulias' daughter. Now, she's part of the team. She's on the marketing front. So we're trying to get people who love Olympiacos, who've been involved with Olympiacos since their childhood or whatever, to really build this up. And these are the type of things that we're trying to do. And uh, we want to create a, a great environment for the kids in an environment where they have the opportunity, you know, with hard work, a little bit of luck to get to that next level and hopefully one day play for Olympiacos. Yeah, thank you so much for explaining all of that because we have a lot of listeners and they're very intrigued about the academy, but a lot of them seem to think, oh, as long as you win, that's all you need. Unfortunately, in the U.S., you have to have – it's more about the capital requirements right. than it is about whether or not you can actually compete at that level, and that's the unfortunate part. So the last question I have for you before we begin to wrap things up is sure. what players uh, – for the moment, doesn't matter the age groups. Uh, what players uh, do you believe are there or that we should be looking out for? Names we might hear about soon in any sphere, whether it could be collegiate or professional. Uh, are there any players, uh, any of the divisions that are that are uh, you think going to turn some heads? Yeah, um, <laughs> we're putting together, and, I, and for for privacy reasons, I won't say any names yet. But we're putting together a sort of elite. U10 team, um, I've found two or three kids that have something uh, at, at that age. Um, I'll be honest, on the older stuff, on the UPSL stuff, there's a couple kids there. Um, there's a kid, uh, Daniel, who's an outside winger. Um, for the, uh, he played for Howard. Um, very talented guy. In fact, he's one of our teams as well as coach the U17 team. So we're doing something like that coaching tree where Philip has players, develops them, and some of them are coming back to coach the younger team. So there are people, um, players out there. 
Um, but I think it's gonna take a little time to, to grow the younger group where it becomes 13 or 14. And then I can go back to you guys. I think these are two or three kids that Olympico should really take a look at. Um, you you know, remember we've been in existence for two years. We had COVID, uh, we had a shutdown for about six months. So it's been a little bit difficult to sort of see exactly where we're at. Um, but yeah, we're going to do that. And you'll see, and you'll see also the UPS stuff, you know, you'll see players of the week. We'll have video coming. If you go to our YouTube, you can see our video, our style of play. There's video on there for the older teams. There's going to be video for the younger teams. Um, but as soon as I have a couple of guys or keep an eye out, we'll, we'll post out. We'll get it on Instagram. We'll get it on our, uh, on the, uh, um, Olympicos DC, um, internet page as well. So, uh, because you got to remember a lot of these kids, we have to build <laughs> And we see some, we see some of that stuff, but we got to build them and get them in the, in, the, in the right environment. And there's some older kids. Like I said, there's one goalie, Andreas. He's a goalie for um, college in Mason. He went to Greece, I think, last year. Wants to go back again, and he's training over there as well. So there's, there are going to be kids. Um, but as you know, we see that we'll post on our Instagram and say, "Hey, take a look at this kid. We're very proud of him." But you know, and so forth. But uh, the younger ones right now, I want to wait. But there's, there's some talent there. There's definitely some talent. Well, that's very exciting to hear, Harry. And uh, as we begin to wrap up, we just want to say thank you for coming on. Uh, we're, we're very happy to see the progress that you guys have made, even um, in spite of the pandemic that's kind of hovering over everybody right now. Uh, as Lambros said, we'll be first in line to join the fan club. Adi is a, a Maryland native and still lives there. And Lambro and I uh, spent time in College Park for a few years. And it's a place that we hold very dear to our hearts. So you know, there's always that pride that we possess for that area. And then, of course, for Olympiacos um, to, to be able to support an academy that, you know, is is linked with the club and represents the club here in the United States. Um, so I just want to say thank you for coming on. And uh, the one last thing that we'll ask you is if there's anywhere uh, where fans and listeners of the podcast can keep up with you on social media or keep up with the academy, uh, feel free to, to, you know, let us know. Uh, you did mention Twitter and Instagram and, and um, all of those initiatives you have. Uh, where yeah, can we, we follow have, you? Uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. Our website is uh, olympicosdc.com. Uh, on the Maryland front, my wife is from Southern Maryland. Um, my 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 brother-in-law and sister-in-law went to the University of Maryland, <laughs> so I'm surrounded by Terps here. So oh, that's boy. all good. Go Terps, yes, I'm baby. a UVA guy, but no problem with the Terps. <laughs> I wish they were in the ACC still, but uh, me too. Yeah, me so, too. We'll talk. Yeah. That's that's for another day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for another time. <laughs> um, but you can find us. Yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. Uh, my wife does a great job with all the social media, actually. But we like I said we're um, on our website. We'll post. Um, even if you go to our Instagram, which is pretty cool, our Instagram will have a lot of these sort of ways that we're training our kids. There's some really cool videos there, uh, some of the you know, training techniques and drills and stuff that we do. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pretty much everyone on, on all the majors and Twitter too as well. I guess so it's Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, internet, and Facebook, we have a Facebook page as well. I think some of those tactical videos are going to be really appealing to not just the listeners, but the three of us as well. I think uh, I'll really enjoy having a look at those. And um, yeah, as we said already, if there's any information about the fan club, if that, you know, begins to um, materialize, uh, we will promote that, you know, as much as we can. We're sure that maybe some listeners would be keen on joining. And of course, uh, as with the three of us and our fourth host who isn't here, I'm assuming would as well. So 
Um, Harry, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank and, you guys. Uh, good luck to, to you with the Academy and good luck to all the kids. And uh, I'm sure things will go great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time and the help guys. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Don't worry, folks. Don't think we forgot that Olympiacos did have a game today. Uh, 3-1 victory over Aporon Smyrnis. Um, continuing to, to dominate the Greek Super League, as we love to see. Hassan scoring two goals. Um, and then Jan and Vila getting one as well. Uh, Apollon did score sort of a messy goal there, uh, which we'll get into. But um, overall, pretty clean game, I thought. Um, nothing super... Surprising or alarming here. It was nice to rest some of the players. Jan and Vila coming off the bench. El Arabi getting the day off. Valbuena coming in off the bench instead of starting. Um, so, and, and we assume that they'll get some time off uh, next week against Banetoricos as well. So, um, Adi, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this game? What, what jumped out to you uh, today? I mean, we did the job. There's not really much else to say. In the second half, especially, it didn't look pretty. But I, we never really felt that threatened by by Apollo. And I'm I'm sorry, especially in the first half. God, they even have a chance. I think maybe one in the first half. It was just one of those games where you know there we had plenty of opportunities and a lot of stuff going on going forward, but some of them couldn't be finished. Hassan, as usual, is always going to miss a few sitters. Uh, you know, can't 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 knock him too much. Of course, he had two goals, but the game was pretty comfortable. I never felt like we were losing that game. Even even though towards the end, you know, we cop one and you know an unlucky one. There just wasn't that much for me to really. I didn't. I never felt super threatened. There were some performances that were good, some were okay, but all in all, it was a, it was just another day at the office. Yeah, I agree completely with that. And with the January transfer window looming and with Rafinha out, with maybe Drager out, I honestly feel like it was just like, get the three points. We just got the three points versus Pauk. Just get it done, go on the road there, finish them off. And yeah, it was just a very, I don't know, they say this in England, a lot of professional, professional job, you know? It was almost like not great to watch at times, but it was just like, get it done good performances from Oleg and Thanasia Andrutos was I'm not going to go into man of the match already but he was fantastic he had a great assist for the first goal just again providing overlapping runs I thought I was worried about Maddie actually got that early yellow card and then he was limping around with that foot hopefully everything's all right Buhalakis did his job yeah it was just Bruma again some some I don't know um, some silly touches sometimes, but again, good work, Hassan, the usual. I don't know, just very professional, professional, I would say. I'm excited for actually, it's going to sound really weird for a 3-0 wrapped up friendly, essentially, on Wednesday. I am super excited to see Socrates hopefully play, Lala maybe play, Pepe play, I don't know. I, I enjoy those games. Let's see how they do on Wednesday as well. It's going to be exciting. I mean, to be fair, all our games are friendlies, right? This is true, Pablo Garcia. I'm looking at you through this camera right now, Pablo <laughs> Garcia. Huh? Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the things Wait, that Peter, jumped I out to me. Wait, Peter, I have to me... cut you off. I, oh. got, I have, I'm so sorry. 
breaking news. I'm Bell I knew, yeah, I knew the, uh, <laughs> the Cope for Libertados or whatever it's called. You couldn't the wait Luchadoras. to bring that up. You couldn't I wait could to bring that wait. up. Dude, Abel Ferreira has a legit Brazilian wonder kid on his team. Like, I was just scrolling through the Instagram. And they were like, players to watch. Gabriel Verón, Palmeiras. And I was like, how is Abel Ferreira, like, lucked into this kid? He's probably going like, to become better than anyone who's ever played to in or something. <laughs> just like... Just like this wonder kid, he's like, ah, oh, you're behind the pecking order of right wing back Limneros, actually. <laughs> it's like, Gabriel, how do you feel about playing wing back? He's like, I'm going to Manchester City, screw this. <laughs> like, they're, I'm going for 30 million euros and you're throwing me a wing back. But no, yeah, I, I knew you were going to mention that. Congratulations to Abel Ferreira and, as Vambro would say, his beautiful formations and beautiful football on winning the Copa Libertadores. Um, Congrats. It's actually crazy that they've, you know, disregarding Abel Ferrer, it's actually crazy they've won. You know, he was hired like three months ago, even less. Um, anyway, uh, the the things that jumped out to me today, that goal for Apodon, what was Ruben Semedo thinking, man? Like time and time again, this man. I think like from watching it, it seemed like he thought Ba was going to just head it clear. But Bob wasn't really that close to heading it. Like, it was just out of his vertical range. And Semedo, it just fell to Semedo's leg. And then, like, Sa was obviously out of position because he was, like, he was trying to defend the near post to, to prevent the header from uh, hitting in a ball in player's head, which is what he's supposed to be doing. And Semedo just rolls it in. And, like, he's lucky it's not an own goal on his count because then a ball on player gets to it and, and puts it in the back of the net. But, like, my God, a disgusting, disgusting goal. And like another lapse for Semedo, he should have been in position to clear the ball away, not just sort of standing like parallel almost and just like letting it glance off his leg. Uh, and then the the player of controversy, the quality coat himself, Pepe, um, comes in and like, uh, I mean, this, this guy is meant to be proven himself to like earn more minutes and Honestly, this might be, it's only a 15 minute spell, but this might be the worst performance I've seen from him all year. Yeah, he didn't do himself any favors. I mean, no. his first two touches, his first two touches were two like horribly misplaced balls. It was, I mean, the first one was like a 2017 Lukaku, like hits his foot <laughs> yeah. and like bounces 20 feet away. And then he just, passed, the and then he just passed to nobody, like in his second yeah. touch. And it was like, dude, like you're under fire. Like Martins isn't giving you like any time. And you respond by going out and doing that. Like, I've generally been a proponent that he needs to get in there more. But after seeing that, like, what is this? Are we getting another, like, Vinagre 2.0 where he just, like, doesn't care? I swear he's a decently talented player. But, like, what was that today? Well, it's it's a clear case of he – there's there's no rhythm. There's no communication between him and the rest of the team. And you can just see it. He doesn't know where people are supposed to be. He's not comfortable – it doesn't seem like he's comfortable playing with the guys around him. Like how much one touch do we see come out of him? Very little. It's there's always, he has to take a touch, like look, double check. And every time he gets the ball plays kind of play kind of slows up. Cause he's not, it's not like, like guys like Fortunis or Madi and, you know, they're playing off of each other. Bruma, Fortunis, you know, the interplay with some of these guys, they know where they're going to be. And some of the interplay is, is beautiful, but he, he just doesn't know where people are supposed to be. And you could see that those like first two balls, he gets the ball and kind of looks where he thinks they're, they're going to go, but then they're, 
they're not there and he seems unsure of himself and this is why i brought up with the lala deal if he doesn't gel with the team and really get that kind of uh synchronization and communication going that's what would keep that transfer from working and pepe has the the skill it's the it's the communication and i still don't think he has that will on the field, you know, to the need to to get the ball, win the ball, and exert his own control over the, the game. So this leads me to the question with Lala coming in. Is it time, like, we just throw Andrutosin into the midfield? Like, this guy's playing great football right now. Lala is coming in. He's going to take the right-back position, but Andrutos is in great form, and let's ride with Andrutos in the midfield and send Pepe to Granada. Where was he linked? Portugal, Spain, whatever. Just send him wherever and roll with Andruzos, honestly. So for me, I mean, let's not forget Andruzos is a very good right back. And as Adi said, like, there is a chance Lala doesn't work out. And to be honest with you, Andruzos, like, he does the job. He overlaps a lot more than Lala. Um, he isn't afraid. He tracks back. He runs. You know, he's he's not, like, a top right back. He's not as good as Lala is. But, like, he can do the job. And I genuinely, like... Lala's not super old, but we need to like we need to just not have this be a thing where he plays every single day. He's actually only a couple years younger than Jan and Vila. Like we need to make sure he gets his rotation. So Andruzos for me will still get his time at right back. Like Drager maybe will have to be sent off somewhere else, but like for me Andruzos is the second right back. He's a good option especially for Greece. He should get some time. And then yeah, he can also come in in the midfield. I mean, at, to be fair, though, at this point, we haven't seen as much of him in the midfield. Like, for me, I know he's, you know, we've seen him in, like, 2017. What was it? Like, Paolo Bento years, I think. But um, right now, he's, for me, a right back. And then, yeah, maybe he's a midfielder that comes on, like, especially if, if we do the Madi and Vila Buhavakis 4-3-3, which works better with overlapping wingbacks anyway. Maybe he can be, come on as a sub to to replace some tired legs in that event. Yeah, and I, I want to point out to the listeners, the transfer window closes today for the listeners when the podcast comes out. So we're going to know real clear what's going on with Pepe. And if it closes and Pepe is gone, which I don't think the rumors are so strong. They were stronger earlier in the week. I would honestly go on the Ruchos in the midfield on Wednesday and... Drager is is Drager gonna stay? I saw on I saw the terrible news on Twitter as we were recording that Rafinha t- Instagrammed a, a post saying we're in here to the end, we're fighting to the end. No, 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 man, you're not fighting to the end. You're 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 fighting to Germany, my man. Like <laughs> you're done. No more fighting. You you gave a good fight, but seriously. So let's say Rafinha or Drager maybe leaves because that are the two options that are on the table. On Wednesday, I'm going with I'm going with Andrusas in the midfield if Pepe is gone as well. So let's see what happens. I really think the midweek series is going to be a fun listen for people because we're going to see some really fun new pieces, Socrates, of course, and maybe a new midfield. Let's see what, what happens there. I personally don't think we're going to see Pepe go out. I think he could sort of get himself into a situation where he basically is just outcast from the team. And then in the summer goes to like Nottingham Forest or something like that, or, you know, 
some small team in Spain or Portugal, but I don't think there are going to be clubs in for him right now. And I also wonder if Martins will still consider him as sort of a depth option or an injury option. If, um, you know, let's say Buhalakis gets hurt, um, he might still want to keep him around. So I don't think we're going to see Pepe get sold, uh, but who knows? I also didn't think we'd bring Lala in. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I mean, we we spent three million. You know, he was our most expensive transfer this year. So we're, I don't think he's going anywhere. He's going to get at least one more year and at least another summer to to see what he's about. And hopefully, as long as there's no injury, maybe we see some improvement. Way maybe we see him actually feature for the team. As far as Andrutos is concerned, I foresee him really playing now like a Torosidis type role in that he's a switchblade. He he now, you know, he can play right back. He's playing it quite well. I'm still not super convinced with him defensively. Part of that worries me a little bit, but I think that's something he's young enough can easily be built on and developed further. Um, but he can also play midfield. So I think that's going to be his primary position will be as a right back with Lala coming in. He'll probably be the starter until Lala settles in. Then Lala will probably be the guy. And then he will be used as a midfielder if he's ever needed. That's kind of what I foresee out of him going forward. One thing, and I, I actually don't know, to be honest, if you guys brought this up on Wednesday. I listened to the podcast, but I forgot. Did we talk about uh, Bruno? He's he's on his way out. We've cut the contract, apparently. He's set to go to Adis. Is this is just <laughs> anyone want to say goodbye? Doesn't matter. To Bruno? <laughs> Doesn't matter. I, guys. I feel like I'm well renowned for my goodbye messages. Yeah, Lambro. A lot of people, yeah, I'll, I'll just say a lot of people called him Ronaldinho when he comes in. He came in. And you know what? After, <laughs> after a year and a half, I want to say it's true. <laughs> you know, to be fair, the like bit. Um, was it on Brant Day when like we're getting Lambert all fired up and we're like Bruno's coming too? That was like <laughs> that one was... of the most hilarious things. <laughs> yeah, like when Adi was... was just like, I just yeah, Bruno's coming too. That was yeah, I that was that's like a well-renowned. So like we actually have to like give Bruno some respect because like he was the butt of many jokes and he's gonna be greatly missed. I'm honestly sad he didn't go to like. Imagine he goes to like Apoel. And like, <laughs> like our guy Stell can just like make fun of him too. Like that would have been good content to be fair. But honestly, watch him walk into Adi's and become like the star. Like, what is he now? Right back, right midfielder? Who even knows? And like, I don't know. decent. Like I, I said, he definitely like he'll be he's a depth player. option. He's yeah. a depth option. I, I, you know, we'll see. Anyway, best of luck to him. Wish him all the best. He, he he he's up there with Rivaldo and Giovanni for Brazilians. It has to be said. Just <laughs> he's okay, more, like stop. Gonna, anyway. <laughs> more like Oh, he's up there with the goat. Yeah. Um, should we before we get too far off track? Should we run through man of the match and coach's grade? I can get started here. Uh, man of the match. I think I would give it to Hassan for the brace, but like he literally could have had like eight goals. If, you know, he was just a, a slightly decent striker. I like Hassan, by the way. Like, I don't mean any disrespect. I'm, like, incredibly grateful that he's made a, a healthy recovery, and I was really happy to hear that. But at the end of the day, like, he's just a, <laughs> a tap-in merchant. 
and uh, he's kind of a meme level player. Uh, we love him nonetheless, but he's not man of the match for me. Um, I think I think I'll say Oleg. Um, he had a couple like iffy moments, um, but for me, he had a very good game, and uh, he really got involved. I just I just love watching him play. Like, oh my goodness, I I haven't done that many podcasts since he's been getting into the game. Like, I love this kid. Uh, he even had a nice shot on goal today. I want to see more of that from him. Um, you know, taking matters into his own hands, and it, it looked good. It got on target. And uh, he's getting in those positions. He's running back. Um, I don't know if the other of you two will choose all, I guess, man of the match, but I think I will go with him. For Martins, I'll say an A. I can't immediately think of anything he did that, you know, really annoyed me. I liked the lineup a lot. Uh, it was a 4-2-3-1 with Adruzos and Oleg in. Um, he didn't make any dumb changes. I, like, joked at halftime. Um, we're up 1-0. He's going to take Rusai off and put Mvila on. He did not do that. Uh, he instead took Mahdi off and put Mvila on, which is a reasonable change, in my opinion. Um, I, I'll say an A. Nothing immediately comes to mind. The one goal was not the coach's fault. It was Semedo's fault. So, yeah, A for Martins today. What do you think, Adi? Yeah, I'll start off with the coaching grade. I'm going to give him an A, too. The, you know, the lineup's what we wanted to see, some rotation. And, uh, you know, we finally got El Arabi a break. And the, the team played well, and I'm sorry, Apollon didn't really do that much. So as far as the game plan, we knew that they were going to stretch the width. When you saw when they didn't have the ball, they were running a wide 4-4-2, trying to stop our wing play. It was going to be a defensive bus parking from them. We knew it was going to happen. It was going to be kind of ugly. When the changes came on, I was a little concerned with the Envila change. But again, Mahdi did look like he was limping and he was on the yellow card. And then when Envila came on, I mean, he was possessing pretty well. So I think that change did have impact. So I'm not going to disagree with really anything he did. So I give him an A. And then man of the match, you know, I mean, Hassan, he gets the opening goal and then closes us out. So, uh, you know, I was thinking I was thinking also Envila towards the end because when he came on, he was really, really great in possession. And so I think he gets a nod, but I'm, I'm just going to give it to Hassan. You get two goals, even though he missed. Oh my God, how many opportunities in front of goal and mistakes and just like not being able to settle the ball in many cases. He got two goals and that put us ahead comfortably. So I'll give it to Hassan. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Hassan as well. But like one thing is on social media, I just like don't like being told by a Panathinaikos course fan that he knows that Hassan is better than El Arabi than us, who literally watch every single Olympiacos game for multiple years. But that's a different topic we can get into another time. Like, anyway. Yeah, so Hassan, man of the match, the game, overall, I think Martins did a great job. The biggest thing for me, for how long have I been saying it, El Arabi and Envia, rest. Both of them rest today, perfect in my book. Andruto sent right back. And these games with Drager... So I'm happy with it, A, and then Valbuena gets his 30 minutes to run around and get some fitness. Perfect for me. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on the whole Hassan El Aravi debate, mainly just because, like, A, I don't want people to be like, oh, my God, the, these these Panathinaik Ghost fans have rent-free real estate in the Gate 7 International podcast head. They won't stop talking about it. And also just because, like, it's, I mean, if you watch every game, it's, it's really not, you know, a, a, an issue. Um, El Arabi, 
we've complained about him a lot. He's not perfect. You know, he's not always showing up in the big games, but I mean, El Arabi's worst is like pretty much Hassan's best folks. Like when El Arabi has a bad game, he usually is still at least doing something in terms of link up play. Hassan, we never see that from. Um, Hassan had, I don't know what his XG was. I don't know if the numbers are up for that yet. Uh, but I mean, my God, this guy had a couple times when he was in front of the goalkeeper with no defenders there. I think he even had an, an open net at one point and he tripped and fell. He, El Robbie would have had four or five goals today, folks. Like he might have, El Robbie might have missed one or two of those, but I mean, he's just a better striker. Like, I don't know what else there is to say. We can. We can maybe throw some numbers out, but like it's just clear to me. I don't know. I I don't make like bold claims about Panathinaikos players. I'm not out here just like Alexandropoulos is not very good. He's like he's Pepe's better than him. Like I'm not saying that, you know. So it's it is what it is. But I guess we can agree to disagree. Look, there are things that can be said, and you know, one you can definitely make the case that maybe he should be, he can start more often. Surely his goal per game ratio will dictate that. He does finish a couple here. It's just really annoying when you watch him actually play the ball. I mean, this is a guy that in some cases will be on the field for 80, 90 minutes and can't even touch the ball more than 10, 15 times. That's infuriating. Uh, when you have a guy like El Arabi that drops back to get the ball and can play some of these gorgeous long balls, commit to interplay, you know, but we can't take away from the fact that Hassan is a poacher. He is a viable poacher. That's what he does. I mean, and when we throw him on, we're just hoping he gets a couple tap-ins. That's all he can do. So there's something to be said for whether or not he deserves more time than he gets. Because at the moment, I think El Arabi has almost four, three times the minutes than him. Uh, not including today, of course. And until until today... Both of them had a very similar, in terms of a per 90-minute ratio, they had a very similar goals per game ratio, if not the same, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, you're looking at El Arabi. I know it was mentioned that he only scores against bottom-tier teams, and that's something I know that Lambro had also had uh, an issue with in, back in the past. But... When we looked at it today, he's got 15 goals in the league, 16 in all competitions, and six of those came against bottom four teams. So I don't know if that's necessarily something that you can hold against him because it's less it's less than half. I mean, but if you look at if you look at Hassan, the the majority of Hassan's goals uh, were are against teams that when we played against them were in the bottom four not when we played against them. So you, I don't think that's a fair argument to make, especially, especially because Hassan has generally only played against easier teams and he hasn't played as much against better teams. He also just hasn't gotten as many minutes, but there's a reason. I mean, you can see it uh, because El Arabi is just a more complete player. Now, whether or not you want to make the argument that Hassan is better for this Olympiacos team, I don't know if I'd agree with that as well. If maybe it maybe if our wing play was better or we had more production on the wing, maybe yes, and more service because Hassan's a guy that definitely needs service versus El Arabi, especially on his good days, can make something from almost nothing. So 
for me, it's, I, I don't know. I don't think I could say personally that Hassan is better for this team. I know the majority of Olympiacos fans would probably say the same thing. But we can't take away from Hassan the fact that, listen, he he, he can get scrappy. He's a tap-in master. And a lot he, he scores some goals when we need them, you know? So we can't take that away. He's the only striker that scored in the group stage for Champions League. El Arabi couldn't with a lot more opportunities. And Hassan got that game winner against Marseille. But all in all, I I wouldn't agree that he's a better striker for this Olympiacos team than El Arabi. That's I just not something I agree with. Where is this bottom four teams coming? El Arabi scored against Pauk literally like last week. Like it it was on Wednesday. It was on Wednesday. Like he also bagged a brace against Ike like four weeks ago. Um, in in the beginning of the season, yeah, like most of his goals were like that one game against Atromitos when he got a hat trick, I think. But like, look, he's he can he can score against big teams. The goals per game, like as you said, Adi, it's a valid point. But I mean, that is also affected by the competition. Like we play Hassan more against bad teams. When we play Aporon Smirnis, he gets the start. Of course, he's going to score. It's easier to score goals against Aporon Smirnis. So that's another thing, but yeah, uh, that, that's going to that's gonna wrap it up. Um, that's about all we have for, for you today. Sorry if this one was a bit long, but we do want to thank you for listening, especially if you've made it this far. Please follow us and interact with us on social media, Gate7INTL on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. We will have more episodes coming out for you soon. One thing that I want to say, because I didn't get to say it on Wednesday, um, we said goodbye to an Olympiacos legend in my book, at least. Pape Abu Cisse going out on loan to Saint Etienne. I just want to say, me personally, Cisse is one of my favorite players in red and white. Cisse was the first goal that I ever watched, the goal that he scored against Panathinaikos. Uh, I was watching the game with Lambro, as, as folks who have listened to all of our episodes would know. That game and that goal made me fall in love with the club. Uh, Cisse showed great passion, especially for a non-Greek player, uh, for the club during his short time here. He wasn't always perfect, um, but he gave us some great moments when we needed them, some incredibly timely goals, some very important goals, despite being a defender. Um, you know, the joke was always that he was the striker that we, we were looking for the whole time. Um, you know, he was just a, a phenomenal player and a phenomenal person, and uh, we wish him nothing but the best at Saint-Étienne. Great servant to the club for sure. And uh, I just wanted to say that while I got the chance that I didn't get to uh, earlier this week. But that is all we have. Uh, we will see you on Friday with our next episode after the cup game. Hopefully we'll see some interesting stuff. Papastathopoulos potentially coming in and making his debut. So we will be very, very excited to discuss that game. So until then, enjoy your week and we will see you very soon.